was a camp counselor in the early 2000s, I heard a pastor use this image to try to illustrate eternity to the confirmants. Imagine a bird, he said, and two mountains. The bird scrapes the top of the first mountain with its beak, flies to the second mountain, and does the same there. It flies back to the first, repeating the process, scraping and flying, scraping and flying. Suppose this continues until the bird has worn the two mountains completely down to the plain below. That would be the first stroke on the clock of eternity. Imagine what it would have been for those poor confirmands hearing that. I don't know about that, but I agree with the sentiment of a quote attributed to Stephen Hawking. Eternity is a long time, especially toward the end. In tonight's reading from 2 Samuel, God uses the words translated forever three times, and we hear Gabriel use it once in the Annunciation to Mary. David will always have a son on the throne. His dynasty will endure forever. What is remarkable is that these words were preserved and recorded even after the destruction of David's line. The throne of David comes to an ignominious end at the conclusion of 2 Kings. Also, this is also recorded in the book of Jeremiah. The prophet Jeremiah urges the king, Zedekiah, to surrender to the besieging Babylonian army, but he refuses. The Babylonians breached the walls and ransacked the city, destroying the temple. Zedekiah escapes, attempts to escape the city with his family, but they are captured. And this next part is why I tremble a bit when we give the Bible to third graders. In a cruel, vile act, something worthy of King Lear or Pulp Fiction, Zedekiah is made to watch as his sons are killed, and then he's blinded and led off to Babylon. So the image of the slaughter of his sons is the last thing he sees. It must have seen that the covenant with David here in 2 Samuel 7 had been abrogated, annulled, abolished. Indeed, much of the Old Testament is a wrestling with this kind of cognitive dissonance. God made us these promises, but this happened. How could this have happened? God had made many promises to God's people throughout the centuries. God promised a future to Noah, descendants to Abraham, and protection and care to God's people at Sinai. God even made the promise of an eternal dynasty to David, and now it must have seemed that God had not followed through. Even though the people had indeed sinned, as the prophets take great pains to tell us, why had they suffered so much? Why did it seem like God had failed? Was their faith little more than a fantasy? False hope before the disaster? To these questions, the Bible responds with a resounding no. God's promises had not failed. When God said forever, God meant forever. What that kingdom would look like was unclear. But what was clear to Israel was that even the destruction of David's line would not stop God from raising up a son of David.
as John the Baptist says in Luke's Gospel about Abraham. Don't say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our ancestor. For I tell you, from these stones God is able to raise up a son, sons and daughters of Abraham. And God raises up a descendant for David in the most unlikely place, the last place anyone would have ever looked. The descendant comes from a young, unmarried, peasant girl from a no-account village in Galilee, which may as well have been from the other side of the earth as far as the folks in Jerusalem were concerned. But it is in that descendant of David that the promises of God are fulfilled once and for all. This unlikely son of David proves to be the son of God. And his kingdom is not partisan like all other kingdoms. It's not concerned with the petty things of property and money, things on this earth. It is concerned with things on this earth, but it has a higher aim. The higher aim is bringing God's people into the kingdom of heaven. And this king doesn't reign by force. This king reigns by love, by pouring himself out for the life of the world, even for Gentiles like us. Amen.